0: slowly through the book of Acts. Going down the lazy river, the lazy river of Acts. And today we're going to hit some rapids and hit some downhill stuff and we're going to zip along like, whoo! <laughs> so hold on, hold on to your hats for all that. So one time I worked at a church And this church, uh, you'll you'll know which one I'm describing. They had on the outside as an architectural part of the building, almost a gloriously obnoxious, huge cross. I mean like huge, like bring in the cranes and set the cross up huge. And inside... They had this giant, you know, big stage and this big wall that would come down to hide an entire, like, 200-person choir behind the wall. And the wall would come down so the preacher could be in front of the wall. And all those 200 people could get off the stage and the preacher could preach and it wouldn't make any noise. And that giant wall had on it... Another giant cross. I mean, just huge, and like it had lights behind it, the bright things and all that. So I worked there, and one Sunday we didn't bring the wall down because we didn't have a big band, we left the wall up, and the preacher came out, and that was part of the plan. It wasn't a mistake or anything. And uh, the preacher preached a sermon. And we had like five people come up and get baptized. And they all got baptized. And it was just this big celebration. And they had these amazing testimonies. And they all went home. And Monday, we all come into work. And, um, or Everybody had the day off Monday. Tuesday, we come into work. We have a meeting that we had every Tuesday morning. We talk about how service went, how the weekend went, whatever. And we read the comment cards that people would fill out and put in the comment box. And somebody, I guess, drove into the church from the side that didn't have the giant obnoxious cross all over the building. And they hadn't ever been there before, so they didn't see the giant obnoxious cross that was all over the wall. And they said, you don't even have a cross in your church. I thought you were Christians. And I remember this guy who was so frustrated. He said, We baptized five stinking people on Sunday. And he was like, we were like, dude, just throw it in the garbage. Don't even listen to that person. And we did. We threw it in the garbage. We didn't even listen to that person. And for years after that, something awesome would happen. And we would just all be just really excited. And (laughs) this one guy, he'd be like, and we don't even have a cross hanging up in our church. And then we would all chuckle for a minute and go on. So that person lived in infamy. We prayed for them for years as the butt of our jokes. We're in Acts, you ready for this? 6 and 7 and 8 today. And we're going to get a glimpse of where people could hear something and see something and not even get the point at all completely missed the point. Like that person that must have driven in from the wrong side of the building, must have came in the wrong door. Man, it just wasn't a church unless they had a cross hanging up somewhere really visible. And here is Stephen, who is awesome. And he's going to say a whole bunch of stuff. And just spoiler alert, there's a whole bunch of people that he's not going to have the one thing they want And so it's not going to work out. So I already told you it has a sad ending, but it's not a sad ending. It just doesn't work out the way they want it. So problems in the church. We've heard about the book of Acts. They've added thousands of people. Thousands of people came to believe. Um, They added, you know, 3,000 souls this day. There were 5,000 men added this day. All these people are believing and There's people on Pentecost came to believe and they went all over the world and spread out to all the nations. And Jesus said, stay here in Jerusalem until Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you will be my witnesses, my martyrs, my, my testimonies in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, we read about Ananias and Sapphira. The people would bring their money, they would sell land, they'd put it at the apostles' feet, and then they would distribute it among all who had need. And now there's a controversy. There's some conflict. Acts 6.1 In these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So, remember, there's all kinds of Jewish people coming. There's also people that aren't necessarily Jewish that are coming to be Christians. And they don't show up a lot. And a lot of them, a lot of the people that are here are Hellenists, which are people that grew up not Jewish. They grew up as Greeks. They grew up as Ethiopians or Sicilians or anywhere else in the world besides Jerusalem, besides Israel. At some point as they were growing up, they became Jews. And so they did the necessary things that a person that's a Gentile would have to do to become Jewish. And now in their Jewishness, they are following Jesus. And so a Hellenistic Jew would probably not read Hebrew. They, would pro- they didn't grow up reading Hebrew. They didn't grow up in the synagogue. They probably read what is called the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So the Old Testament was mostly written in Hebrew originally, but they had a bunch of rabbis that realized we've got all these people from the Greek world coming and becoming Jewish, and we want them to be able to read the scriptures, so they translated the Hebrew Old Testament into Latin and Greek. And so you have the, the Septuagint. And so it's a translation, so it's a little some things are a little bit different than the Hebrew, which is going to come up in just a moment. So they are becoming Christians, and they are the ones that aren't getting enough food. And they start complaining. And they say, hey, hey, when you guys do the daily distribution, like the Jewish Christians among us get two scoops of mashed potatoes, but you're only giving the Greek Christians, the Greek Jewish Christians among us, one scoop of potatoes. What's the big idea? And they're complaining. So the 12 which would be the 12 disciples, right? They're the ones that are in charge right now. They get everybody together and they say, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. We should not have to decide who gets the most mashed potatoes in this. We're, we're busy doing other stuff. It's not right. Pick out, 12, uh, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will appoint to those duties, but we will devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the Word. So they said, we're the 12 disciples. There's only 12 of us, and we all were with Jesus. We need to be praying and preaching. We don't have time to take care of this squabble between y'all. So pick out seven people that are full of the Holy Spirit and we'll put them in charge of it. Does this sound familiar? I mean, here we are with racial tensions in America, right? And people are saying, this isn't fair. These people aren't getting this. These people aren't getting this. And um, sometimes people say, well, they just put all these people in charge of it that don't even know what they're talking about. They put people in charge of this problem that don't even know how to solve this problem. Let's see what they did in the book of Acts. They picked seven people. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas. These are all Greek names. And so what's really cool about this is this is where they're saying, okay, the Greeks are complaining that the Greeks aren't getting enough food. Let's put the Greeks in charge of the food. We're going to show that we do not want anything to get in the way of preaching the gospel and so the people that are, the, that are complaining about this and the people that are not treat, being treated justly and fairly in this we're going to put them in charge and let them take care of it this is like the guy that complains about what color the church is painted gets to hire the painter <laughs> right okay you just volunteered yourself I think it's really cool that they did this. This is a really great, you know, if somebody sees injustice, if somebody sees someone not being treated fairly, then let's get all the people that are being treated unfairly and put them in charge. For one, it's going to help them to see how hard it is to do it right. But for two, it's going to help us to show, look, we don't want to be unfair. We still want to not be unfair. We're going to put all you Greek Hellenists in charge of it just to show you we do trust you. We do trust you with the food. We're not holding back. I have a buddy, and he said, part of this might have been that the Greek, the Hellenists, didn't know that they had the authority to be in charge. That they might have thought, you know, this whole Christianity thing is a Jewish thing. It's not our problem. We're just going to go along. And this empowered them, which is, fits with some of the other stuff that's happening here in Acts. So it's really cool. So they empower the whole church. It's not just the 12 apostles job to feed everybody. Let's get seven guys that are full of the Holy Spirit and let's have them put them in charge of it too. So they do it. The word of God continued to increase. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you remember what happens over and over in Acts? A great show of unity. They pray. And then there's miracles. Great show of unity. There's argument between the Hellenists and the Jewish Christians. They show unity. They pray. And now miracles happen. More people are added. Priests. So this would totally be Jewish priests that work in the temple. Remember, they would always meet in a section of the temple and everybody liked them and everybody thought they were awesome. There's priests that are going and doing sacrifices every day in the temple that are hearing what they're preaching and becoming Christians and following Jesus. Wow. Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. I love this because here, you know, there's some people have this line between clergy and laity. There's the people that are professional ministry, and they're the preachers, and I could never do what they do. And I just could never do that. They are just so much, oh man, they're just so great. I'm just just a church, I just go to church, oh man. But they, so here's Stephen. All he does is wait tables. Peter says, we can't neglect the word of God for waiting on tables. Let's have these guys clean up all these chairs. Let's have these guys pass out all the mashed potatoes. And in the next scene, who's working miracles? The guy with mashed potatoes and the hairnet is doing it. Full of grace and power, doing great wonders. Some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedmen and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia, Cilicia, and Asia rose up and started disputing with Stephen. Who are all these people? These are all Hellenistic Jews. These are all Greek background people who had become Jewish, just like Stephen. And they, but they do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so as Stephen is preaching that Jesus has died for all of our sins, these people are the ones coming against him. What's wild is these were probably people in the synagogues where Stephen used to be a member. Because he was a Greek background, Hellenistic Jew. These are synagogues of Hellenistic Jews. And they are coming against him. There's also some historians that think that the Apostle Paul, since his mother was Jewish and his father was Greek... He would not look Jewish. He would look Greek. And he was brought up in Greek ways, so the Apostle Paul could have also been from one of these synagogues. And they're opposing him, and they're disputing him and arguing with him. Thing is, he's got six other guys, all in leadership, all passing out the mashed potatoes, right, with him. And so when this synagogue sees, okay, this was just a Jewish thing and a Jewish sect and it was growing and it was adding priests. And now some priests are starting to believe, but this is a Jewish thing. And all of a sudden, when the Greek Jewish people see some of their own are starting to follow this Jesus, it's an alarm to them, too. It wasn't an alarm before, but now they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. this is this is getting bigger. We don't do this rise up and dispute with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. May that be our prayer. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. As we get into arguments, as we disagree with people, could that be said of us? You know, I don't agree with Dan Sullivan, but the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke, I just could not couldn't argue with that. Wow! Instead of, gosh, Dan Sullivan's a jerk. His poor wife. We gotta pray for his kids. She kept kicking him under the table. They can't stand against his wisdom and the spirit with which he speaks. It's—it's it's irresistible. So they cheat and they go get a bunch of liars and they go get a bunch of false witnesses to slander him and to complain to the high priest about all this horrible stuff that he's saying. They said, they said, false witnesses, this man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. We've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. He's going to change all the customs. They didn't even have a cross in that church, right? They're taking something that was true. Stephen was probably telling the people that their sins are forgiven. He was probably telling them that you didn't have to go to the temple to sacrifice a sheep or a cow for your sins anymore because Jesus was your sacrifice, And so if you love the temple and all of your religion is wrapped up on the law of Moses that says you have to kill a cow every time you sin, and somebody says you don't have to kill a cow for sin anymore, they hate the temple. They hate Moses. They hate the law. They hate everything. That's where they're going to go, right? Right? Gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So they look at him, and they're like, okay, these guys are accusing him. We know he's a part of this sect of people that are meeting every day. We know that signs and wonders are being worked at by him. But did you see the look on his face? There was something about the look on his face that was like, wow, that guy, there's something different about him. So then Acts chapter 7, the high priest says, is this all true? And I love the way Stephen does this. He does not defend himself. He doesn't say, you can't believe Larry. Larry hasn't said a single true thing since 1980, right? He doesn't accuse the people that are accusing him. He doesn't defend himself. He doesn't argue. What he gives through all of chapter 7 of Acts, 40 verses, he gives this great history of the Jewish people. But remember, he's Greek. And so I'm not going to read the whole history that he gives. We're just going to do a high-speed flyover. But what he talks about and the way he presents the history of the Jewish people... You could almost see the the whole Sanhedrin and the council being like, "Oh yeah, Moses did that," and they're just so proud of Moses and he talks about Joseph and how God or he starts with Abraham God spoke to Abraham and you could just see all these priests just like raising up yes, Abraham and Stephen talks about Abraham and he talks about him really eloquently and he talks about jacob and joseph and moses and pharaoh was evil and god delivered by his mighty hand and you can just hear everybody just welling up um you get you know it's like he's talking about george washington and he's talking about abraham lincoln and these principles and you can hear the flute you know in the background and the American flag's waving and they're all just listening to him and they're all just, I say all that because this is what this speech is like. It it is, um, for these people, religion and patriotism were all the same thing. And he is talking and he is just really finding common ground with this court that killed Jesus just a few months ago. They arrested and scolded Peter and John. They arrested, scolded, and flogged Peter and John. And now they have brought in Stephen. So they have been slowly upgrading on their punishments. While the disciples have been increasing their fervor and increasing their passion of what the truth is. The other thing that Stephen does through this whole speech is he talks about how God showed himself through Moses and nobody listened to Moses and they rebelled. And God punished them and poured out his judgment on them. And how God spoke through the prophets and God loved Israel and the prophets spoke the truth of God. And nobody listened to the prophets. And God punished them for not listening to the prophets. And God reached out to Israel and used the prophets, and the people didn't listen. And so after this huge, awesome speech, this is the longest speech in the book of Acts. There's like 24 speeches in the book of Acts. This is the longest one. I'm giving it the least amount of time. What in the world? But... um, After this long speech, he seeks all this common ground. He gets everybody on his side. Everybody is like, man, this kid, he's a true Israelite. Like, he knows his Jewish history better than my kids. You know, they are really cheering for him, and he's really playing it out. And he kind of has this chorus that repeats of God reached out to his people, and God wanted to be with them, but they didn't listen. And then judgment came. And then he gets to this little funny bit around verse 42. God turned away, gave them over to worship of the host of heaven. You know, he, he, the punishment came. Did you bring me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years of wilderness, O Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch, the star of your God, Rephan, the images you made to worship. I will send you into exile in Babylon. And this is talking about God's judgment. And he's quoting from the Septuagint, which shows us how Greek he is. And then, and he's talking about, oh, the, the exile in Babylon, like, you know how we remember September eleventh? And like every it's just just that day you're kind of down. And you just remember what an awful day that was and everything that happened. You would kind of think about what life was before it, what life was after it. And that's for somebody like me that didn't even lose anybody in it. When you mentioned exile to Babylon, to these people, they were just like, oh, that was just, that was our biggest mistake ever. That was such a horrible thing. Stephen brings that up, pours a little salt in it, and jabs them a little. Then he quotes David, and he says, It was Solomon who built the house for God, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by human hands. Like the prophet says, Stephen quotes Isaiah, the best prophet ever, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool, what kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? Stephen has just set everybody up. They love the temple. They love to kill cows for sacrifices. They love the law of Moses. Stephen has just brought them through all this biblical history to say God himself says that he's not trapped in his temple. That the temple doesn't count. That God can go anywhere outside of the temple. God is not limited and then he lets them have it. You stiff-necked people. Well, happy, happy feelings are over, right? You uncircumcised in heart and ears. Okay, that is just, I mean, like I could say a whole bunch of cuss words at you guys. You would not be offended as he just offended them. To tell them that they were uncircumcised is to just tell them that they're like out worshiping wooden idols sacrificing their children to idols that they're just heathen, pagan, sun worshipers, right? Wow. You stiff-necked, uncircumcised heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. In this whole cycle of Moses came with the word of God and nobody listened and God judged. The prophets came with the word of God and nobody listened and you all got hauled off to Babylon. Stephen is pointing his finger at all of them and saying right now, Jesus has come and you have rejected him and your judgment is coming. Whoa, pretty bold, huh? pretty bold saying this to the people who remember flogging Peter and John just a little while ago, probably less than a month ago. You received the law delivered by angels and you don't keep it. These are guys that prided themselves on keeping the law. And Stephen, a Greek who knows Jewish history, So good that he could eloquently say this whole thing. And they were all cheering for him during this whole speech. Turns it and just calls him uncircumcised and blankety blank everything else. They're furious. They heard these things. They were enraged. They ground their teeth at him. They were so mad. I don't know if you've ever been so mad that you clenched your mouth and like you have you realize after you get through it, your jaws are hurting because you've been clenching your mouth because you've been so mad at something. They did that. He, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, I see the heavens opened and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So this is encouragement for Stephen This is not encouragement for anybody else. Because in Daniel, when he mentions the Son of Man, the Son of Man is coming for judgment. And he is coming to bring judgment on those that don't believe him. And so when Stephen says, I see the Son of Man standing, he's saying, Your judgment, you uncircumcised blankety blanks, is coming, and I can see him coming. Here he comes. Oh, that makes them really mad. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears. They don't even... So you know how sometimes you'll hear somebody cuss out their kid in the schnook's parking lot and you just feel dirty all day because nobody should yell at a kid like that? These guys, they don't even want to hear the blasphemies that Stephen is saying. So they're no 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 They're sticking their fingers in their ears. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. That's uh, the next time that happens to me and I'm in a grocery store parking lot, and some lady is yelling at their kids so loud, that's what I'm going to do. We'll see how that goes. I'll let you know. They cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and they all rushed at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. So the temple is on the edge of a cliff. And it's a city on a hill. I mean, it's a perfect example of that. They probably took him out and threw him down this cliff, this rock steep thing. I mean, it wasn't like, ah, it was probably roll down, fall, get hurt. And then they throw rocks down the hill at you. That was how that worked. The witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. So you get a little mention of Saul. Saul is there because he's a part of the Sanhedrin. Remember, Gamaliel was his teacher. But he's probably also there because he could be part of the synagogue right? The Greek believing synagogue that brought that was arguing with Stephen he could have been part of that crowd. He was enough of that crowd that he is going to help everybody give me your coats come on because you don't want to get any dead body stuff touching your clothes because then you'll be unclean so I'll hold it all here I mean they're even going to keep the law they're going to adhere to the law even as they kill Stephen. That's so, because you don't want your clothes to touch a dead body. So everybody throw your coats over here. And how Stephen died is so much like Jesus. Because Jesus said on the cross, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know the magnitude of what they're doing right now. They don't even, they don't even know Don't hold this sin against them. And receive my spirit. Here I come, Lord. I know know I'm done here. I think Stephen knew he was going to die from the beginning of his speech. Because he knew, man, they arrested Peter and John. They arrested Peter and John again. And the dudes got whipped and flogged. Stephen, since he was like the handy person helping out, you know, church administrator kind of thing, he may have been there to help them with their wounds and help take care of their wounds after being flogged. He knew. He knew he wasn't going to get a fair trial. That's why he didn't argue with all these people and try to disagree with them. He just wanted to give the truth. And so he died. Acts 8.1, Saul approved of his execution. So the other awesome thing about this whole deal is that Luke wrote this long after it happened. And he wrote it by consulting all kinds of people, all kinds of the disciples. And he wrote it consulting Saul. And so as Saul relays this story to Luke... He's relaying what he did. It's a confession of sorts. But Saul also knows what's going to happen to him and what happened to him and the forgiveness that he got and the change that Jesus made in his life that he can tell this whole story and not hide it and not keep it a secret. So, we now have our first martyr. The first person besides Jesus that was killed because of Jesus, because of following Jesus. And you can see all through the life of Stephen, he did not respond in fear. He didn't walk in fear. He wasn't nervous. He wasn't bad-mouthing anybody except straight to their face. He wasn't gossiping and criticizing behind their back. He was teaching the truth. And he was teaching it in a way that people saw his wisdom, that his face looked like an angel, that nobody would call him a jerk, that nobody would consider him rude, and that many priests, I mean, if priests are coming to believe in Jesus, it is the power of God, because these are Jewish priests that spend their whole day doing sacrifices, sacrificing And if they believe that, gosh, it's not the blood of this bull that takes away my sins. It's Jesus on the cross. It's not my works. It's his grace. It's his forgiveness. If they're believing it, that is powerful. And so may we be so awesome in our witness. Lord, thank you so much. We do, Lord. We want to we have faces like angels. We want to see your glory and we want to be able to, to talk to people about your saving power in such a way that you would save them and that you would rescue them from death. Lord, thank you so much for the forgiveness that you have shown us. Lord, when you died on the cross for my sins, you died for a lot. And I thank you so much for that Lord. And I pray that you would fill each one of us with your holy spirit that we would be able to proclaim this to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth without fear but full of walking in your truth. We praise you and we thank you Lord. Amen. All right. Let's stand and sing.